I wish people understood that their attitude is their choice. Attitude is the control center of your life and you choose it. If you have a bad attitude, you chose that bad attitude. If you have a good one, you you chose that. When I talk to kids especially, I ask them, has anybody ever told you, I don't like your attitude or you have a bad attitude? They say, yes. And I said, has anybody ever told you, you have a good attitude, I like your attitude? Yes, where did the attitude come from? And then you get down to the bottom of it, you choose the attitude. We don't choose what happens to us, we can't. We don't have control over all of that, but we do have control over how we handle it. Hello, and welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, where you'll hear one conversation after another that generate aha moments for you. There is an enormous wave of goodness and progress happening well underway in the world right now that almost no one knows enough about. And we're here talking to the people that are creating that wave. Today, we've got an amazing guest who is one of my mentors in positive thinking. And we're going to talk a lot about positive news and how you choose your perspective and the difference it makes in vast ways in what happens in our day-to-day lives. You know, on this podcast, we're talking to people who are solving some of the world's greatest problems, and they still think the future is bright. So my goal with this interview is to make sure that we get some of Dr. Hal Urban's energy. He's got great ways to think about almost everything, every situation in life that can make us feel like life is a little bit harsh. Even past the negative news and all that doom and gloom, there is a way of just living that Dr. Hal Urban brings to light in eight books. On and on we go. I'm going to let Hal introduce himself better, but we're here to shine a light on a whole new way that we can shape our own perspective. So Hal Urban, welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. Thanks, Linda. I appreciate being with you. We've talked before and I enjoyed it and look forward to doing it again. Well, <laughs> I always say somewhere in the introduction that we need to see the world as you see it. <laughs> <laughs> you have have these eight books behind you all about choosing your perspective and countless stories that I look forward to you sharing with us. So let's get started. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just give people a little bit about your bio, and then I want you to fill in the gaps, okay? Okay. Well, what I know about Hal is that he's been a, he was a school teacher for 35 years, and he had an emphasis on good character all through his years. You were also an adjunct professor as well as being a teacher, right? Yeah, at the University of San Francisco, I was an adjunct professor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. He, wrote, he wrote one of his very first books called Life's Greatest Lessons was selected as the Writer's Digest by Writer's Digest as the most inspirational book of the year that year. And we're going to talk about that book in just a minute. That was your first book, right, Hal? It was, yeah. Written a long time ago. (laughs) Well, I've looked into it and most of its lessons are still just as relevant today as they ever were. And they were a long time ago also. They're what we call timeless lessons. They'll be around 100 years from now too. Exactly what we're going to dive into in this interview. You know, Hal's got the scope of time in his in his toolkit for us, so he can he can he knows what we're fads and what our has staying power as far as being successful in life and living a life well lived. Hal's got you know no end to the bio here. He's got two degrees in history that I think brought you to the teaching world, but then you got your PhD in education. So he's all about shaping lives through. Through educating. I think what you do, you do a ton of public speaking, right, Al? Yeah, I did until COVID came along. I was, I think I've got about two and a quarter million miles under my belt and been all over the world and all over the United States. And it's been wonderful because that somebody asked me, what have I enjoyed most about that is the people I've met, especially because I speak a lot in educational circles and teachers tend to be really, really good-hearted people. And so I have teacher friends all over the country and some other countries too. Well, I, you know, and this is why you're here today because I, I've talked to Hal before. Hal, Hal has been, as I mentioned, a mentor of mine as far as understanding how media impacts people and how we can choose our perspective. And I always find that your genuine love for life, Hal, is sort of infectious. Well, <laughs> I, I hope it is that that... Basically, our mission in life is to help others and to one of the best ways we can help them is to lift their spirits or at least contribute to a, to a good 
nature to start with, you know, and that's every time you do it, it brings you more joy. My favorite quote of all the thousands of quotes that I use is on my business card. It says, we do ourselves the most good doing something for others. And that was, that's a quote by Horace Mann, who was the father of public education in the United States. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. That, it, and that is so true as far as in these times, I don't, I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast has experienced this. When you see this little moment, you know, in a grocery store parking lot or in an elevator or wherever, when you can do something little for someone else, there's this moment that feels like a gift to everyone. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's amazing how that works. In the last couple of years, I've I've learned more about the happy hormones, about the psychology of different parts of the brain and that type of thing. And it's it's amazing what little things we can do that make us feel good. That's again, I use that phrase, stir up the happy hormones. And I've mentioned them in my last my last couple of books extensively. All right. That brings us to the first topic. <laughs> Okay. So Hal's first book, the one that the award-winning first book that he wrote, Life's Greatest Lessons, has this wonderful little short sentence that we could all murmur to ourselves throughout the day. Ready? Live, we live by choice, not by chance. Is that an aspiration or is that how it actually works, Hal? No, it's it's a fact. You know, it's if somebody asked me, what's the one thing you wish everybody understood? It would be, I wish people understood that their attitude is their choice. Attitude is the control center of your life and you choose it. If you have a bad attitude, you chose that bad attitude. If you have a good one, you you chose that. When I talk to kids, especially, I ask them, has anybody ever told you, I don't like your attitude or you have a bad attitude? They say, yes. And I said, has anybody ever told you you have a good attitude? I like your attitude. Yes. Where did the attitude come from? And then you get down to the bottom of it. You choose the attitude. We don't choose what happens to us. We can't. We don't have control over all of that, but we do have control over how we handle it. And I think one of the most important one of the best books or most valuable books I've ever written, oh, not written, but read, was uh, Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. You know, Viktor Frankl was a Holocaust survivor, and, and he lost more than any human being I've ever read about. But he said he came to the conclusion when he was in the, the Nazi concentration camp, he said, the Nazis have taken everything away from me. He said, but I have to figure out something they can't take away from me and I'll beat them. And he came up with this beautiful quote, the last of human freedoms is man's ability to choose his own attitude, no matter what his circumstances are. And I, that has stayed in my head. A, a friend of mine gave me that book when I was going through the most difficult period of my life. And I realized then that I can't control. It was the divorce and having my three little children taken away from me 400 miles away. And I couldn't control the circumstances, but I could control how I handled it. And I, my life changed that day. I began handling it differently. And of course it had a happy end within about a year. I got my kids back. So, uh, but even if it hadn't, I still would have dealt with it more effectively than I was before, which was choosing to feel sorry for myself. Yeah. Okay. So the, you know, there's this great quote. I just have to show the book. Okay. So the latest book is The Power of Good News. <laughs> so of course that was right up our alley here at the Goodness Exchange yeah. and at the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. But this is about feeding your mind with what's good for your heart. This is a really good distinction is that, you know, we all do back to choice. We all do have a choice about what we give our attention to all day long, the breaking news and the social media and all that. But, you know, if we really thought of it, like we're feeding our mind with everything that we let in and we thought about how things so often break our hearts instead of build them up, I think that we could be like making that choice would be a, an easier habit. So talk to us about, talk to us about feeding your mind with what's good for your heart. Okay, do you remember he died about five years ago, but he was called a motivational speaker, Zig Ziglar? Mm -hmm. Do you remember him? Well, he was, to me, he was one of the best. He was very upbeat. He was positive. He lived the life that he preached. He was funny, and he was just fun to be around. And I, 
I remember there was a point in my teaching career where I was just going through kind of a really down, a down time. And, and I read in the newspaper that Zig Ziglar was going to speak in Oakland, which is about a half hour away from my home. And so I took a day off. I called in sick. Teachers call it a mental health day, you know, and I went to this all day workshop that he, uh, that he was giving. And I, I think this is probably chapter one in this book. But one of the things that he said that day is one of those things. Sometimes you hear something and it never goes away. He says, you are what you are because of what goes into your mind. You are what you are because of what goes into your mind. And, and it really had an impact on me because I realized, yeah, what whatever goes into your mind is going to shape you. And so if you need to change yourself, you need to change what's going into your mind. Like, for instance, I gave the example in the book of how do little kids in, in some of these radical countries, how do they become terrorists at a young age? Well, they're brainwashed. They're just pumped full of hate for the U.S. or whoever it is, and they become brainwashed. And that's all they've had pumped into their brain for a long time. But you do. You could do the opposite. You you take a little kid out of school, uh, out of his home, because both his mother and father have been pumping him with stories about how horrible he is. But then they finally find out that he lives in a dangerous environment, and they put him around teachers and maybe f even a foster home where he starts receiving positive information about how good he is, and his life changes because what's going into his head changes. And that's why when I wrote this book about good news, what I'm, what my real mission is, is to encourage people to find sources. And there are many, and Linda, you're one of them. And we've talked about a mutual friend that, that has another one called celebrate what's right in the world instead of what's wrong. But there are, there are all kinds of choices that we can make regarding what goes into our mind. And, and, and that's absolute key. Oh, so this, that we could go so many directions, but you know, you did mention in a brief conversation that we had earlier about, about how you, one of the best questions that, well, talk to us about that, that great question that we could be asking others or people could be asking us, you know what I lo love about you? Yeah. Talk to us about that. Whole yeah. That, because uh, this goes I, with <laughs> I wrote about a friend of mine that I used to teach with. His name was Tim Hansel. And he was one of the most upbeat, positive people I've ever met. And he, he touched other people in a positive way because whether we have bad energy, low energy, negative energy, or really good energy, we pass that on to the people we come into contact with it. And so that's why I like to be around him because I felt very energized. And we were having lunch one day, just the two of us. And he kind of stopped in the middle of a conversation about a football game we were having and he looked at me and he kind of smiled and he pointed at me and he said do you know what i like the most about you and i did it really threw me off I, and i looked at him and i was kind of stunned and i didn't know what to say other than no what and he proceeded to tell me these things that he liked about me particularly about my teaching about my passion for teaching and my energy for it, my relationship with the kids. And then he said, and you have made me a better teacher. And it was one of the greatest compliments that I've ever received. And I realized, you what a neat question to ask people. Because if you, you say to somebody, do you know what I like most about you? It'll throw them off, but you know something positive is coming. So if you do ask somebody like that, make sure you do have something that you like the most about them. And then you it may be more than one thing, but start off with a thing that you like most about them. And usually it's something like, well, every time I see you, I light up because I know that you're going to energize me in a positive way. And so it's it, in some ways, it's a magic question. It is really fun to ask uh, people that question and usually starts a great conversation. Well, you know, when you mentioned that, I thought, how many times have I ever said that to someone? Do you know what I'd like most about you? That is such a profoundly simple aha moment right there. Okay. I was, I was about 30 when he asked me that. I had never been asked it before. This is now 50 years later, and I still haven't been asked it since. So that's the only time I've ever been asked that question. But it's a simple, life-enhancing question. 
Okay. So <laughs> all for our audiences, let's all make a pact that once in a while, as often as we can think to do it, we will ask people that question and then tell them an answer that will probably send their self-image and their attitude about the day. And God knows what it would change in people's lives to have that little tiny mini conversation in a given yeah. Now, I really encourage people to do that. You can do these unexpected little yeah. little things and it lifts people up and it's fun because you know you made somebody else feel good. And every time you make somebody else feel good, you feel better yourself. All right. Win-win. So, that is so lovely and so simple and basic. I'm, this is going to be one of these moments I can't unsee from this interview. So as we, if we're there, we might as well talk about this concept that you you speak about, which is people who choose generally positive attitudes expect the best. And people that generally choose negative attitudes expect the worst in others and situations. And here's the big message is you usually get what you expect in life. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there was an old expression, I forget who said it, we become what we think about. You know, and if you think about possibilities and positivity and and thankfulness and things like that, then those kinds of things bloom before you. But if you're looking for the bad side and thinking grumpy thoughts and, and that type of thing, then it's going to stay that way. You know, it's just, and people don't realize, it's back to the word choice, they choose the, the way they're going to go. You know, I shared with you earlier that chapter four in that first book is we live by choice, not by chance. And the next chapter after it is the most important choice you'll ever make is your attitude, because that's that's the control center of your life. It has to be lined up or everything's going to go go off in the wrong direction. Yeah. And your your point there about how, how we do energize each other. Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, it's important to get that in our work environments. How about just walking around the kitchen after a hard day's work and your kids are not in their best mood and you're, you've only got what you've got left in the tank? And right. you have to think about those moments about yeah. what we either add or subtract. Yeah. So, yeah, we okay. Have to, Go we ahead. have to be aware of the impact we have on other people. So I love this little self-reflection that I came across in the book. You say, do people see you coming and think, good news. Or when they see your name on email, do they think, good news. Like they know that you're going to bring, you're going to be additive to their life, whatever comes next. Right. Talk, talk to us about that concept. You've got some good thoughts on that. Well, you know, a lot of this goes back to, to my teaching days because I tell a story in the book about how, because I was a social studies teacher and I, I taught subjects like U.S. history and American government and current world affairs and things like that, we always started class with talking about things that were in the news. And there was a little homework assignment, a very simple one that the kids did. And, and so we would start class with this. And one day, one of my students said, you know, Dr. Urban, for being such a positive guy, you should give a negative homework assignment. And I go, whoa, me? negative, you know, but she made a really good point. And uh, the other kids are nodding that they said, all the news is bad news. And I knew that anyway, but I just were reporting on the news, you know, and, and I said, no, I agree with you. I, I said, the long time ago, the news media learned that bad news sells and good news doesn't. And so that's why they bombard us with the bad news. And I, I said, but I don't want to start class in a negative way. So let's do this. I said, when we start class, let me ask you first for the good news. Well, the kids said there, there isn't any good news in the newspaper, you know, and, and so on. And that's where they did the homework with it. I said, well, how about in your, your own circle, in your family, in your personal life, in your, in the school, in the community, share something good that's going on that we can celebrate. And we started doing that and the kids just absolutely loved it. And so every day I would either ask, what are we celebrating today or who's got good news? And we did that. If I didn't cut it off, it would have taken up the whole period, you know, and I didn't get my lesson in. But it, it started off that way. And I taught adults at the university and I started my classes that way. It says, who's got something good to share with us? And they loved it. And the point is, it's out there. It just doesn't get light shined on it like the bad news does. Okay. And all along, that's a choice. That was a choice from you as a teacher 
right. to ask that of people to share some good news, right? That was, you know, I think it's interesting. And I love this point that you made that if it, if you didn't cut it off, you would have never gone to the history lesson. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, I used to have to apologize for cutting it off. I said, cause this would go on forever, but you know, I do have a, a professional responsibility to get through <laughs> these particular lessons, you know? And, Okay. So takeaway here, another big one for me is going to be going forward, you know, ask people for, for good news. Got any good news in your life? Right. You know, this yeah. is something we could ask of others too at, at staff meetings and family dinner table, just all kinds of applications. You know, like you, you mentioned staff meetings. I remember the, the, the adults that I taught at the University of San Francisco, they were all full-time employees and they came to class once a week for four hours. And after I started that good news stuff, many of them told me that they started their staff meetings with, let's start the meeting with some good news. You start anything with something positive, you know, it'll, it'll go better. You know, I was out to dinner with friends recently and we hadn't seen them since the beginning of the pandemic. So very long time. And we used to see them probably once every three months. And I found myself thinking about halfway through our conversation that it was surprisingly negative. It was strange. And I will know better next time I get yeah. this funny feeling where like, oh, we're just talking about all the bad things happened in our lives in the last two and a half years. I'm just going to pause and just own it and say, hey, anybody got any good news? And just turn the corner. Yeah. we. It goes back to we can't control everything that happens, but we can control how we handle it. And yeah. And I'm not saying bad things should make you happy. I'm just saying that you uh, have a choice on how, how you're going to handle it. And, and I want to point out to folks that how doesn't come by this attitude from some ideal life. I mean, there can be people in our lives that are good people, good men and women who are just walking around angry right. and just negative. So and you say your father was one of those people. Yeah. You know, my dad had a very, very tough life. He was the oldest of eight children, grew up on a farm up in Oregon from uh, his parents had recently immigrated from Lithuania. And so they uh, didn't speak English really well. And they're trying to establish a farm in a brand new country. And, and uh, it was a huge farm and the whole family had to had to take care of it. So his education was not very much. I don't think he even finished the eighth grade. He didn't go to high school at all, but he had a tough life. You know, he grew up on, on this farm where it was work, work, work and meet deadlines and all of that type of thing. And, and somewhere along the line, he turned into a, just a very angry person, a very negative person. And he didn't have anybody to help him change that. And so I grew up all the way through, at least all the way through high school with this really negative, angry, a lot of filthy language in terms of swearing. And, and so I grew up in a very negative environment. And I was fortunate when I went away to college, I had some really great professors that uh, helped me deal with that and change things around. And I thought how sad that my father never had this kind of uh, opportunity. Uh, on the other hand, I want to make sure that everybody knows I I don't hold that against my dad. You know, he, he was a very generous man and he was conscientious. And I shared with you earlier that I'm sitting here in a beautiful office in my home that was just a big unfinished room when I moved into it. And my dad was a builder. He went from farmer to iron worker and then taught himself to do everything. And he put a window in here. He put the shelves in here. He even put the floor in. It was rocks and he put the floor in and and he's done a lot of other things. He did a lot of other things for me too in his lifetime. So I got kind of the, the best of both worlds there. I got a, a lesson in how not to be. And I got the benefit of, of his, he, that's the way he expressed his love for me. He never told me he loved me, but he, he did. And he expressed his love by doing a lot of things for me in my home. Well, this is, this is part of the equation too. You know, this conversation is about, you know, seeking good news from others, from media sources. We're going to take a break and come back and talk about some tricks for finding good news in our media. And, but it is also about who we surround ourselves with and we can have loving, res serious, respectful relationships with folks who are not necessarily positive, but it comes back to our choice. 
our choice, who we're going to be in other people's lives. And we can love the heck out of people who aren't making that choice. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to get some more wonderful tips from Dr. Hal Urban. Hi, I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, founder of the Goodness Exchange and host of the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. And I want to share something wonderful with you today. So you know how the constant negativity in the news and social media seems to be at some sort of boiling point right now? It's relentless. It can feel like all the joy and potential is being drained out of our future. Well, it doesn't have to be that way. My team and I at the Goodness Exchange are making certain that optimistic people have instant access to positive news. There are newsworthy stories out there about astounding solutions to some of the world's biggest problems, about wonders and leaps in human potential. It's not a lack of good news, it's a lack of awareness. So, if you want to try living with more joy and way less fear, it's really simple. First, head over to goodness-exchange.com, where you can balance your media diet and feed your curiosity about a world with real-life stories, celebrating people solving the world's greatest problems. And second, you can become a Goodness Exchange member. And for just $2 a month, you can help us keep this site ad-free. And what you're going to get is high-quality, carefully curated stories all about the good that's happening in our world and all of it sent directly to your inbox or via our beautiful app. In the face of all the negative noise and often discouraging things that happen in our personal lives, you'll be the one who can stay on your feet. You can point to possibility and be the person who makes opportunity of setbacks. People who use the goodness exchange have a spring in their step. Every day, they radiate joy and confidence because they know far more about the complete picture of what's going on out there in the world. You can do more and be more in a positive way for your kids, your coworkers, your family, and all the people around you because you're going to be filled with stories of goodness, remarkable, ingenious solutions, and progress. Super simple to open the door to a new landscape of possibility for yourself and others. Just get instant access to what's right with the world and leave all the negative noise behind. You can use it every day by heading straight over to goodness-exchange.com backslash join. And you can get 14 days on us when you sign up for this membership. Thanks so much. We hope you'll join us in making the world a better place. There is a conspiracy of goodness going on. And if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably part of it. Okay, we're back. We're here with an amazing author, Dr. Hal Urban, of a book that, that of course, we could not put down called The Power of Good News, Feeding Your Mind with What's Good for Your Heart. So this is what the back of the book says about Hal. And it, even this, which I think puts it very, very super, it falls far short, far short. But the back of the book says, you know, what we eat, greatly impacts our physical health. Dr. Hal Urban says that we can nourish our minds just like we nourish our bodies by choosing what information we consume. The key is to train our brains to find and focus on the good in the world, which we too often take for granted. Hal isn't suggesting that we stick our heads in the sand regarding the bad news. Instead, he shows us how to balance it with the unpublicized good going on all around us every day. And that is essentially the bottom line, right, Hal? Yeah, that's a good summary. I didn't write it. Somebody from my book publisher did. But the unpublicized good news, that's a really good phrase there because it is it usually is unpublicized. And it's our job to find it. Zig Ziglar, we talked about earlier, he said, be a good finder. You find what you're looking for. Okay, let's start off the second half right there with that concept. You find what you're looking for. Absolutely. Hal, I bet you it happens to you like it happens to me. I'm out in the world. I see somebody that seems to be struggling and, and they say something, some off-the-cuff comment, a stranger to me about how the world's going to hell in a handbasket because they can't get this thing done like they want it to do. And I'll say, well, actually, and then I'll try and like kind of lift them off a little bit that it that the world isn't, you know, a dumpster fire. And almost always they stay angry and they argue with me 
about how terrible the world is. <laughs> well, I've, I've been called Pollyanna quite a few times, and I write a little bit about Pollyanna in the book, about who she was in the story and so on, you know. Well, back to where we were going with this in- introduction from the book is let's talk about the media and curating our incoming a bit more, because that's something that we're focusing on a lot at the Goodness Exchange and the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast is making sure people know that there's just a world of stuff out there that's not rising to the top, so you have to seek it. Yeah, it is it is around us, but I think one of our problems is is that we take it for granted. In other words, when things are going really good, you're you're comfortable, you don't have any complaints, you just take that for granted. That's the way life is supposed to be. But if you really think about it, you know, it's something as simple as going grocery shopping. That's something people take for granted. They even say, oh, I have to go shopping. Well, the real truth is you get to go shopping because in our country, you go to the store and everything that you want or need is there. And you should be thankful for that, you know, but people don't think that way. And I, we, we had talked earlier about one of the most powerful lessons I ever received. I was about 10 years old. And my mom told me a story about how things were when she was a kid. Also, she also grew up in a farm, but that was in Missouri. And she showed me a, a picture of her brothers, the way they, they were dressed, you know, and and I was com- that was because I was complaining about the jeans I had. I didn't think they were as cool as, as my neighbor friends. And and so she showed me a picture of her brothers in their jeans. And she said, yours are a little bit better than theirs. And then she also gave this incredible quote. She said, the happiest people in the world aren't the people who have the most things. The happiest people are the people who are most thankful for what they do have. And I'm one of these people that literally... I. I've lived in this home for 49 years, and there's not a day that I haven't been thankful that I live in this home. It's not a mansion. It's a regular home. We fix it up the way we want it, but I just love it. And we make a change and improve it and so on. And it's, again, I don't take it for granted. I'm just really glad that we live in a comfortable place and I love my place. (laughs) I love the residence I'm in. It sounds simple, but again, I don't take anything for granted. Well, I think that's part of this, the culture of complaining that is just, we're hearing so much about. At the, on the Goodness Exchange, we're always, we only publish articles every other day, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, because we are so careful about adding to the noise. We don't want to publish anything mediocre. It's just so much noise out of there. And that's a part of your book that I that I really want to refer people to. There's this great little spot where he's talking about this. Oh, the fabulous! Is that Sean Anchors? Yeah, Sean. That, yeah. that was uh, I never heard that expression before, and I quoted him. Make sure I gave him credit that 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 was a really valuable thing. I thought. Yeah, Sean Anchor has this amazing TED talk that you can find on the Goodness Exchange if you put sean anchor in the search box he's got this happiness at work ted talk that's just mind-blowing and and then we add a little bit to it by breaking down the talk so it's a it's a really good article but he says this great thing which i think we could pause for a second and just think about all of us he says he says we start by grasping the difference between noise and signal in our digital lives he's particularly referring to he says noise is information that's negative or unnecessary. And signal is information that is true and alerts us to opportunities. Now, I love that. Noise is unnecessary and signal is opportunities. And I think we're all kind of scanning, scanning, scanning in our online lives for things that'll help us survive and thrive. Yeah, you know... The word opportunity is one of my favorite words in the English language because it says so much that, you know, and I look upon every day as an opportunity, especially an opportunity to do something good, do something for someone else, to lift somebody else's spirits, even little things. But you have opportunities in front of you all the time. Well, okay, so the same as the choice and the opportunity, we can more carefully curate what we give our attention to in our online lives. So let's talk about directly about the news for a few seconds, just to give people tips, because I I would imagine 
people might think that somebody who does what I do or somebody who does what you do are just tuning out the news entirely. It's all so negative. But that's not actually what you or I tell people to do, is it? Yeah, no, because as you read that little blurb on the back of my book, it says that Hal does not suggest that you you avoid all of the news. I think as citizens, we have a responsibility to be well-informed. Now, you can be well-informed in a lot of different ways. I don't advise watching TV news for four hours because you'd be overwhelmed by things blowing up and stories about cheating and killing and lying and and all of that kind of stuff. But I think it's important to be informed. I, I look at a daily newspaper every day for, you know, 15 minutes or, or something like that and, and kind of grab the main news concepts of what's going on. I watch, I limit my TV viewing to one half hour. And, and it's actually not a half hour because 10 minutes of this commercial. So you're getting about 20 minutes and it's mostly bad news. And, as you know, most of the national networks they tack on something kind of happy and feel good right at the end of the at the end of the show. But but it's you can stay well informed and know the bad things that are going on, but still find an incredible amount of goodness all around you. But if you're concentrating so much on the big negative things, then you don't see the good little things. And that's what makes life rewarding and happy. That is so lovely. I love this quote from your book. You say that, or I'm not sure if it's you or somebody, You, this whole book is filled with the wisdom of others. Like oh, I always do that because I figure I want to tap into people that are smarter than I am to help me write this. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you, you'll get, a, you'll get such an education about the people, the thoughtful, measured, helpful voices oh. in the world. That's a real part of this book for me is, is getting all these names and what they're doing in the world to be the measured, helpful, thoughtful voices. So that's who I'm giving my attention to these days. I can hear hard things, but I want to hear it from somebody who feels like a helper, mm -hmm. not someone who feels like they're just complaining and ratcheting up the drama. Right. So you have this great quote in here from Dr. Ben Shahar. He says, the media is not a looking glass, but a magnifying glass. I had personal contact with him when I wrote the book. He was Sean Aker's mentor, and he was the guy who started a class at Harvard. And it's, I can't remember the exact title of it, but it was something like the psychology of happiness or something like that. And it turned out to be the most signed up for course in the history of Harvard University. And they had thousands of kids signing up for it that couldn't get into the course and so on. And he went on to he went on to other things, but he gave me a nice endorsement on that book and obviously had a lot of influence on Sean and has done done a, a lot of good spreading spreading good news around himself. You know, another one that you mentioned that I was really impressed with on the book, you got a great endorsement from Ken Blanchard. Ken oh, yeah. You know, that, that has an interesting story. Back when I wrote Life's Greatest Lessons, I originally wrote that book in 1990. So that was a long, long time ago. But when I sold it to Simon and Schuster, Ken Blanchard was one of their, one of their authors and he was, had his big, biggest seller at that time. And he gave me an endorsement for that book, my first book. And so it was nice to have him for my first book 30 some years ago. And then for my last book, which was just a year ago. Nice. Well, Ken Blanchard, for people who don't know, has written one of the most important, I think, business books in the last 30 years that I, I've been reading most of the New York Times best business books over the over the years. And he's written, he wrote, he's the author of The One Minute Manager, right. which is a great little parable book about how we manage our tongue and right. what we give our attention to for that matter. Here's another really, really great notion I really want us not to skip over. When we're watching the news and so forth, I'm looking for the helpers. So I, I look at the news and I watch who's, who's supposed to be telling me the news. And if I get any inclination that they're trying to convince me of a viewpoint, boom, they're, they're, not, they're entertainment. They're not news to me. Yeah. I, I might still listen to them, but I know instantly that they're not telling me the news. They're telling me their version of the news mm -hmm. in order to serve some agenda. Do you have any, like, sometimes I even turn off the sound and see if the person's gesticulating and if they're making crazy <laughs> facial. I just go, no. <laughs> I, I try to find a newscaster that 
that appears neutral, you know, yeah. and comes across like I'm reporting what's happened. You can interpret it. And there's, there's still a couple out there that we don't have Walter Cronkite anymore from many years ago and some of those guys, but, but they're still there and you can find them. Yeah. One of the things that I, I loved that you commented on when I first, when we first got to talking today off camera, I asked you, so, you know, what are you seeing good and bad in the zeitgeist right now out there in the public? And we don't go very far into politics or religion on this podcast ever, but you had some really kind of nice way about how, about your version and view of how it could be if we could stand more together, if we could pause and listen better to each other and try and collaborate with people that are far across the chasm from us. Talk to us about, about, about that. Well, you know, one of the things we, we talked about, I, I shared with you that one of the thoughts that's been going through my head, this is the old history teacher in me, is the quote, united we stand, divided we fall. And I even looked up yesterday, who originated that? And about three or four different people have been given credit for it. But John Dickinson was one of the founding fathers who wrote the Constitution. He was the American politician that had the most influence on it. But it comes up in Aesop's uh, Tales and other people, and, and there's different ways you can you can say it, but it is really true if you think about it. If you've got a, even something as simple as an athletic team, if everybody on the team is going for his own personal glory, then you're divided. You're not, you don't have the same goal. The goal is to help each other win. You, united we stand, divided we fall. And it, the same applies to business, the same applies to teaching. And it's in many ways the two keys to making sure that we're united is number one, what we call the golden rule. It goes way back before the Bible, that concept, treat other people the way you would like to be treated. That means listen to other people's viewpoints, respect them, share your own, that's the way you treat each other. And the other one is win-win, which is my philosophy of life. In any situation you're in, let's try to make it so we so we both win, including our day-to-day -day conversation with other people. Oh, that is such an untapped notion right now. I just don't see almost anyone in the public eye doing a really great job at modeling that. You know, some of the loudest voices I don't see saying, hey, let, you know, let's, can we get curious? Because one, I don't know who the big, the influencer who said this was, but I think it's quite a long time ago, but they said most of the biggest problems in this world just suffer from one problem, oh, a yeah. lack of imagination. Yeah. Okay. So they just, the biggest problem was the things we're fighting and chatting about probably just haven't had enough clever, good, goodwill and imagination applied to them. No, they uh, definitely need that. But again, you, you have to be able to see the possibilities. That's another one of my favorite words besides opportunity is, is to see the possibilities of what we're capable of. And again, it goes back to win-win and, and the golden rule, how we treat each other and and how we work together. And I really wish there was something we could do to, to promote that. Mm. I had a guest very recently talk to me about the fact that he's a, he's a global traveler. He travels in some, some pretty rough places around the world. And he was just reminding us in sentence after sentence that everyone around the world is just generally so darn nice. And we've got the newsmakers who are mean and and we, they make the news, but generally all the people that he runs into in bleak places all over the planet are super nice. And what if we just had an attitude like that, that we were out to, from the start to make it a win for both parties? Yeah. That, and that is, a, it's, it has to be a frame of mind. You know, we're going in win-win and I can't, I don't know who coined that phrase or came up with a version, somebody in business and wrote about it. And then guys like Stephen Covey, he wrote about it in the seven habits of highly effective people. In fact, that was one of the seven habits. That was a big selling book. You remember back around 1995 or something like that. The seven, one of the seven habits was that highly effective people always think win-win. They're always looking for compromise and working together. And because let's face it, we don't all have the same perspective on life and and we need to work together. And that could be a good thing. 
that could be a totally good thing that we don't have the same perspective. Oh, yeah. I think it is a good thing, especially if you're willing to see the perspective of of yeah. the other person and try to understand it. To that to that point, I love a quote that you have in the book. You sp- someone, I can't recall right where I found it, you have these wonderful little thought bubbles throughout the book. Yeah, and someone right. says, speak that which is the kindest. Yeah. Oh, this is something we could all use a little measured dose of self-awareness on, huh? Well, you know, Linda, way back after I wrote that first book, and it did really well. The way the publishing industry works is that if your first book does well, then that publisher wants to keep you and they want to grab you. And so they wanted me to sign a contract for two more books. So they had that much faith in me because, you know, the first book. And the second book I wrote is about the power of words. It's called Positive Words, Powerful Results. And the reason I chose that is they said, is there anything else you want to write write about it. And I said, well, in in the first book, I have a chapter. It says, kind words cost little, but accomplish much. And I said, I didn't, I was trying to keep those chapters short. And I realized when I was writing it, that there's much more to say about the power of words. And so they said, well, why don't you write about that? And I said, okay, so that's what I did. I wrote that whole book, uh, Positive Words, Powerful Results. And a lot of people have written to me saying, Gee, I was never aware of how impactful my words can be, you know, whether it's in an informal social situation or it's at work or it's in a family thing. Our words have enormous power. And they say words words can hurt, words can heal. And I really encourage people to use words that are, well, the one I used with my students, I said, don't, please don't poison the atmosphere of my classroom. And I had a little empty poison can. And I said, you say negative, angry, filthy things. It's like spraying poison in the atmosphere of my classroom. I said, let's nourish the atmosphere. And I had one of those little plastic orange cans that you give to a little kid to water the plants, you know? And I said, let's nourish the atmosphere of the classroom. So we made some agreements on some types of things we would not talk about in the class and things that we would talk about. So, but it really got my students aware of, you know, back to choices. Every word that comes out of your mouth is a choice. And you're going to choose to poison the atmosphere or you're going to nourish the atmosphere. And that's stuck with them. Yeah. One of the thought leaders I talked to on this podcast said that she always thinks three things before she speaks, especially if she's feeling kind of charged, whether that could be in a business meeting or at the dinner table with the kids or what have you. Thanksgiving with Aunt Martha that drives you crazy. She always thinks, does this need to be said? Does it need to be said by me? And does it need to be said right now? Okay. She asks herself those three questions. And I got to tell you how that was a life lesson that I couldn't unsee. I constantly in situations, because I don't, I could be a little confrontational. I, I don't mind confrontation. I don't, like conversation, but I kind of, I'm so curious that sometimes I naturally stumble into it, but that, but since I heard that little quote, I do not, I I really hold my tongue maybe 50% of the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to have some kind of break on your verbal muscles because sometimes when we think for just a couple of seconds about what we were about to say, we realize yeah, maybe not, not so not so good to say right under these circumstances. And how about how about in our digital lives, tapping away on a social media post when we're yeah. at the hottest? Yeah. Yeah, I think you have to be, one of the things I've learned about digital communication is that, especially in emails, you can't put body language and tone of voice in an email. And sometimes you could be making a joke in an email, but it doesn't, when the person's reading it at the other end, it doesn't come across as a joke, especially if it's kind of a, like a little funny dig at the other person and they take it serious. And I got caught on that a couple of times and I had to apologize deeply. And so I'm much more careful about what I write because I don't want to offend people. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, there's a, you have a great quote in the book, from the Buddha, you, it, the quote is, when words are both true and kind, they can change the world. And they absolutely can. You know, like I shared with you earlier, when when Tim said to me, 
you know what I like most about you? And then he told me what an impact I had on him as a teacher. I was feeling at that time that I wasn't living up to my own standards of what I wanted to be as a teacher, but he shed entire new light on it and it can change your world. And words, your words can change somebody else's world. And we need to realize that. So in that light, you have talked to me about complaining. You have some you have really <laughs> fun observations that are like about complaining. Well, you know, as I think you, you refer to somebody, I, I have the book, it's called Culture of Complaint. We live in a culture of complaint. And it's been proven scientifically that if you go around to the cultures, say you go to 10 cultures and you measure them in wealth, the wealthiest one will complain the most and the one with the least amount will complain the least. And we live in a culture of complaint. And I had, I write, I've written about it maybe two or three times. I had a college classmate that had a huge impact on my life. His name was Bruce Diazzo, Italian name. And Bruce was one year behind me in school. And he was different because he had, he was one of the last people in the United States to get polio. Polio is trying to make a comeback now because some people are not getting vaccinated, but we defeated polio a long time ago, but that's a separate story. But anyway, he was paralyzed as a teenager. He lost all the feelings in his legs. And I never did understand how this worked, but he could not lift his arms, but he could move his hands and fingers. So the only thing that he could move was he could move his head and his mouth because he could talk and his brain work, but he couldn't move his arms or legs. Now, I can imagine going through one day of your life in which you cannot move either leg or either arm. You need a lot of help. And But anyway, one of the things that was always amazing about Bruce is I never saw him in a bad mood. I never saw him in anything other than a really good mood. And he had the greatest attitude of anybody I'd ever met in my life. And I wanted to sit down someday with him over lunch or breakfast or whatever and ask him how he got such a great attitude. And one day we did have that talk and he said to me, the most important thing that he ever learned was from his doctor because he really, when he had this happen to him, he really felt sorry for himself. He said, I was angry at God, angry at life, angry at circumstances. And he said, and I felt sorry for myself because I wasn't going to be able to ever walk again. I wasn't going to be able to do a lot of things. And he said, one night his doctor said to him, Bruce, he said, we've done everything we could to save your life, to keep you alive from this. He said, and I understand that you're angry. I understand that you feel bad for yourself. He said, but he said, let me tell you this. I want you to think about it. He says, change your attitude, change your life. And so Bruce told me, he said, I realized what he said was true, that I couldn't control my circumstances, but I could control my the way I would handle it. And he said, my attitude used to be, you know, sorrow for myself and anger. And he changed, he said, I changed my attitude to thankfulness and opportunity. And I said, I, I, I was too young. I didn't quite get it at the time. And I said, what do you mean? And I said, how, what are you thankful for? And he listed all these things that he was thankful for. And they were all things I had too, but I had always taken them for granted. You know, his family, his friends, his, his teachers, the guys that helped him get through life and all of this. And then he said, opportunity. He said, I have the opportunity, just like you do, to do a lot of good things with life. And he said, so my attitude now is thankfulness and opportunity. And, and he said, Hal, he says, something that I really learned through all this is that the attitude is a control center of your life. And we, we choose it. And he said, my doctor helped me when he said, change your attitude, change, change your life. So anyway, to finish the story on Bruce and to get back to complaining, because I kind of went in a different direction. But Bruce, unbelievable what he achieved. He graduated with honors, got a scholarship to law school, graduated from law school with honors, and was offered huge starting jobs as lawyers all over the country. He turned them all down. He grew up in Fresno. Fresno, California, which is in the middle of the state. And he went back to Fresno to become a public defender because he wanted to help people who had had unfortunate lives 
they got themselves in trouble and he wanted to help them straighten out and go back. And he, as a young man, he was voted citizen of the year in his big city and, and all of this kind of stuff. And and the, one of the saddest things about Bruce is besides all that living with polio, he died when he was about 33 years old. And I heard about it because we were still kind of in touch. And a friend of mine who used to be one of his caretakers came over to see me after his funeral. And he said, you know how, he said, we all love Bruce and everybody knows a lot of things about him. He said, but I lived with him for six years, was one of his caretakers. And he says, I want to tell you something nobody else knows. And to me, it's the most amazing thing of all. He said, I lived with Bruce for six years. He had more reasons to complain than anybody I've ever known. I never heard him once complain in the six years I lived with him. And I was, I was astounded. So the next day I go into my, teach my high school kids. Now we had talked about complaining before. And I said, you know, I said, I want to tell you a story about a friend I grew up with. So I tell them the whole Bruce story. And I said, and here this friend last night tells me that in six years, he never once heard him complain. And I looked at my students and I kind of smiled and I said, I'll bet you guys couldn't even go 24 hours without complaining. And th th what was really funny at that time is, is the, the first kid heard me say, you couldn't go 24 hours without complaining. I said, let me make it a little assignment. I said, I'm going to call it the Bruce Diazzo Memorial Challenge. Go 24 hours without complaining. I said, it's 9 a.m. right now. You go until 9 a.m tomorrow without complaining. And some kid says, oh, that's too hard. And I said, see, you haven't even gone two seconds without complaining. I said, let's start a new 24 hours. And so they all went off and said they were going to not complain. They came back the next day. I said, raise your hand. If you went 24 hours without complaining, not one hand went up. And I said, what happened? And they said, again, oh, it was too hard. I didn't realize how much I complained. I said, well, that's a good reason to give you the assignment to make you realize how much you complain. And I said to somebody, how long did you go without complaining? And they said about two minutes after I got out of class, they're already complaining about their next class. But it did make them aware of how much they complain. And I'm not exaggerating. This is a true story. I did that every, with all five of my classes, I did it with my adult students at the university. It took me 20 three years to find a person that could go 24 hours without complaining. At least they were honest with me. You know, they said, because I said it, it includes grumbling and mumbling, that, that, that kind of stuff. And it was really interesting what happened. The girl that did it, she, she raised her hand and, I, and her name was Grace. <laughs> Perfect name. Huh? And I said, Grace, you're the first one in 23 years. I said, did you have a strategy or technique? She said, oh, I had to have a strategy because I complain more than anybody. And even my parents tell me I complain too much. So she said, I have a journal. And she said, I decided that every time I started to complain, instead, I would write something down in my journal that I'm thankful for. And she showed me the page and it had 23 things <laughs> No, not 23. It had 22. 23 was the years. It had 22 things on it that she was thankful for. And I said, you mean you started to complain 22 times in 24 hours? And she said, oh, I usually do more than that. But it was a great, it was a great lesson for learning how much we complain. Yeah. I'm going to go out of this interview and do this and try this. Okay. I, well, I don't 24 think hours. Okay. I, yeah, I'm let's like, see. It's 10 o'clock here. What time is it? Your time? 12? Okay. I'm challenging my audience. And whenever okay. you're hearing this, to try and go 24 hours right. with that planning. I, I think it, I think the little self-discipline exercise that you shared there at the end is probably the way to go. If you, yeah. maybe we all can't grab a pen and write it down, but I think that that would shed some light on exactly yeah. how our minds actually work. Yeah. And what it tells us too, is that, you know, we're creatures of habit. I have a chapter in life's greatest lessons about habit. Also habits are the key to all success. Yeah. We have good habits and we have bad habits. I mean, one of the good habits I have, I get up early in the morning and go to the gym and get a workout and get my happy hormones going and run into friends and everything. And it's a wonderful, wonderful habit. 
Okay. But we get in bad habits also. And like somewhere in my dad's early life, he had the bad habit of complaining and swearing and, and, uh, you know, and so on, but we can develop the habit of, of appreciating instead of complaining. Okay. I want to share with you because it goes so perfectly here because you mentioned how it works at the gym. Hell has this amazing little thing he does when people say, how are you? <laughs> oh, and this is, this is fun. And it happens literally every day of my life. And it happened this morning twice. You run into a friend and the exchange between you usually goes like this. Hi, Jim. How are you? And Jim will say, hi, Hal. Fine. How are you? And then I say, fine. And then we go our separate ways. Okay, well, I always thought that if it's somebody you like, they're generating something positive. You like seeing people that you like. So if people say, how are you? I should tell them something about how they make me feel. So my answer usually is, well, I was good, but I'm even better now that I've seen you. And they you always, you know, whether it's a man or a woman, because men and women do have different reactions, but they smile and they laugh. You know, and as I was telling you, Linda, earlier, the guys will tell me I'm full of BS, but they'll still laugh about it. And the women will, the women usually say, oh, you're so cute or you're so kind or something like that. But again, they're laughing. And so a lot of people now that see me on a regular basis, they'll even come up to me like a guy did this morning. And he says, I suppose you feel better now that you've seen me. And I said, I absolutely do. I said, you energize me. I'll have a better workout today because because I've seen you. And it's a one, again, it's one of those crazy simple things. It's like, do you know what I like most about you? But this one can happen more often because you're going to see people every day and it's always, how are you? And there's all kinds of funny things you can say when they say, how are you? But it's fun. That's the main thing. Well, now I'm a lot better for having seen you. That is just <laughs> That uh, I got okay. That that's when we. That's a major takeaway. Yeah. I want to kind of wrap up here on this this wonderful TED talk that you and I both tell anyone who will listen yeah. about. We have an article on the Goodness Exchange that I'm going to encourage everyone to look at about a Nat Geo photographer that does an extraordinary TED talk called "Celebrate What's Right with the World." Right. If you put that that title, Celebrate with What's Right with the World, in the search box at the Goodness Exchange, or the photographer's name is DeWitt Jones, you are going to see something you can't unsee. It is a funny talk. It's eye-opening. Give me your thoughts on DeWitt Jones's work. Yeah, no, that's a great recommendation, Linda. That is really terrific. And it's one of the, it's a short one too. I think it's only about 15 minutes and it's one that you'll want to save and go back and listen to again. And besides that, the guy's an unbelievable photographer. He has a, a Facebook page in which he, he puts some of his photography. I mean, you got to be good when you're a photographer for National Geographic. Yeah. Well, I tell you, you know, this is what we're doing here is celebrating what's right with the world. I can't impress upon people enough to look at this book as a almost like an oracle. You can like just open it anywhere. Like you can see what I've dog-eared. It's something fierce. But you can literally open anywhere like I just did and get a little little nugget that you can think about for the rest of the day. Here, I landed on a page. It says, it's by Mike Sullivan, thoughtmagazine.com. He says, if you want to be happy, then steadily and continuously keep filling your head with what's good in your life. Fill it to overflowing. Yeah, fill your head. You are what you are because of what goes into your mind. You know, put good things in there. So, so this is it. <laughs> yeah, you know, you. one thing I want to mention, Lennon, this is not because I'm going to make more money, but if people want to buy a signed copy of that book, they can get it directly from me. I give all the profits from my sales of book to character education I have for the last 10 years. So again, I'm not trying to make money off of it, but I will match Amazon's price and my postage will be a little bit cheaper. So if they just go to my website and want any of my books, I'll autograph and date them and personalize them if they want. And, and some good schools and character education movements will be the beneficiary of the, of the profits. Well, that's just like you. <laughs> Well, I just got to the stage where, you know, I struggled financially as a teacher for a long time. I had to moonlight and all of that. And, 
And then when I started writing books and speaking, a little bit more money started coming in. I got to the point where I'm now in the give back phase of life, you know. Well, I bet, you, I bet you've been in the give back phase of life your whole life or darn Well, you know. no. Well, in terms of financial, I've been okay. in the give back for about 10 or 12 years. So well, and it's, you. it's fun. I would encourage anyone to take Cal up on that offer. I got to also mention before we wrap up, if you know a teacher, if you are a teacher, he's got a book called 20 Things That Good Teachers Do. Let's say, you know, here in Vermont where we're talking, I, I was just talking to a school superintendent the other day. They're actually having such a teacher shortage that they're hiring lay people who are going to be good mentors and good teachers. But, you know, this would be a great book for any teacher as wow. even a thank you. But 20 things that good teachers do. I've thumbed through that book as well. And yeah, it's on it's on my website also. Yeah. So okay, great. Great. Go there. If they if they know my name, Hal Urban, it's halurban.com. So easy enough. Well, that's where I was going to wrap up. Where can people get a hold of you? HalUrban.com. And we're going to, anything that Hal and I mentioned in this whole entire episode is going to be in the show notes. We've mentioned a lot of links. And I have to say in the back of this book, he's got more links to good news, including Ever Widening Circles, which was our website before we expanded to the Goodness Exchange. We had four different platforms we brought under one umbrella at the Goodness Exchange. Uh, but there's others here that Hal mentions that you can fill your brain with amazing things every day, all day, and we can pick and choose what we give our attention to. So thank you, Hal. Okay, Lena, it's always good to talk to you and, and get some of that. Even if it's through a screen, I'm getting all kinds of positive energy here. Uh, me too. I'm so glad we decided to record this conversation yeah. finally. All right, well, join us at the Goodness Exchange. Dive into Hal Urban's work. And you will see all these connections that we've given you to goodness and progress carry you through weeks and weeks of goodness. And as you become this person that's holding a lantern for everybody around you, you will start to feel the joy and wonder that Helen and I have been talking about. Okay. Okay. Have a great day, everybody. Okay. Bye-bye.